Welcome to Color Him Dads with hosts Marvin and Jeanette Charles. Marvin, Jeanette, and their guests are here to provide tools to struggling fathers that will help them navigate systems and overcome challenges they face attempting to enter or re-enter the lives of their children and families. They're here to inform, encourage, and bring hope as they confront the epidemic of fatherlessness head-on. Now, here are Marvin and Jeanette. Welcome to Color Him Dad's podcast, brought to you by Dad's Divine Alternatives for Dad Services, which is a nonprofit uh, designed to help fathers. Um, my name is Marvin Charles, and uh, I've founded, along with my wife Jeanette Charles, Dad's again Divine Alternatives for Dad Services over 25 years ago. The reason um, we started doing this podcast is because we wanted to reach more people from the work. After 25 years, we felt like they have a lot of mediums that allowed us to be able to connect with even more fathers than what we have over the last 25 years. And so um, with the help of uh, Voice America and some of our local friends, we thought we'd try um, the podcast medium. And so I want to say that I'm, I am i have my great nephew in the room who is marching me through this. Uh, I'm uh, excited about venturing off into this new realm of media. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about what we do, how long we've been around, and what we plan to do with this uh, medium. We hope that we have an opportunity to reach more fathers. And when I say reach more fathers, what is one of the questions that fathers usually have? And, and, and I'll start out with the main one, and that is why nobody hears me. Why nobody's listening to me? I tell them what I'm trying to do. I tell them what I want to do. I tell them I want to be involved in my kid's life, but nobody hears me. Well, that's what we do at Dads. We listen. We give them an opportunity to feel like they're being heard. And then we try, as best we can, to give them some directions, some knowledge. And that knowledge is simply based on our own journey. Um... I'll tell you a little more about my journey uh, in the fatherhood realm um, in a little bit. But that's one of the main functions for dads is to be able to be a place where fathers matter. They feel like they matter. They feel like their story. They feel like their journey. Their desire is like any other father naturally is. I want to be involved in the lives of my children. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't have a father in my life. So how do I do it? Well, we try to give them those tools. Now, I have to be very honest with you. Um, I don't have a PhD in this. What I have is my own journey, my own experiences. And, and then when there's a father that we've had some success with, we bring his journey into the fold and we have him talk about his journey. And what we found out is that most of these journeys are very similar. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I grew up in the urban core in Seattle, Washington, and didn't have a father involved in my life. And after doing my research, I realized my mother didn't have a father in her life. My father didn't have a father in his life. So then those things that uh, I had to navigate um, is the same thing my parents had to navigate. And so uh, I was not doing a very good job at it and until I... Uh, made the attempt, I didn't realize that. Okay, let me let me backtrack a little bit. Um, I need to tell you a little bit about the organization. Well, Dads is a nonprofit that's located in Seattle, Washington. We, uh, those of us from um, this area, call it the Pacific Northwest, the Great Pacific Northwest. And so. Um, my wife, Jeanette, and I started Dads in the living room of our home um, after we had um, 
gotten our children back from the CPS. And we realized we needed to do something to, number one, unify our family. But also, we saw outside our family. We wanted to unify our community. Um, We were former crack addicts. And as we went into recovery and got our lives together, we knew that there were our children who had friends whose parents were struggling the same way. And so what better way to take care of your community than to make sure that your children's friends and their parents are safe as well. And so we just kind of opened our home up, opened our, our, um, our mindset up and figured out how could we help the community. Our kids went to school. There were people that we got high with, we did time with, we did crime with. And if they saw that we were being successful by having family, then we wanted to spread that same joy. That was pretty instrumental for me because I I grew up in the foster care system just like um, I slated for my children. You know, if I didn't like the foster care system, why would I subject my children to the same thing? And somewhere along the line, I realized that's exactly what I was doing. However, I was fortunate enough to marry a woman who was raised by a single father in the times that it was unheard of. Now, what became really clear to me was um, he had passed on. She was a, a grown woman now. Um but that I got the benefits from whatever he planted seeds into his daughter, I got the benefits. And so I wanted to plant those same seeds into my daughters and my sons so that some way, somehow, someday, somebody would get the benefits from them. So um, that's, that's how we started. And one of the main ways that we felt like that was possible was um, I started, I started taking classes. There were very few of them, but I met a gentleman by the name of Dr. Ken Canfield, who ran an organization called the National Center for Fathering. And I got a chance to take some of his classes, some of his trainings, and I felt like that was a start. However, um, there was one big problem. I was from the urban core in Seattle. And most of these trainings he had, they they weren't for urban fathers. They were for fathers outside of the urban core. I hung with him and I grabbed some of the tools, but I said, Doc, man, is there is there anything you have for a black man and his family? And so unbeknownst to me, he had hired a gentleman and they started working on a, a curriculum. The curriculum was called Quenching the Father's Thirst. And when I got my hands on that joint, I went crazy. It was, it was everything that I wanted it to be. So um, that's what we used. We used in our um, community, quenching the father's thirst. We had fathers that were coming in to our um, home. Then we found a spot that we could utilize. And it just gave us the wherewithal to say, okay, maybe this can be something. And so we started doing, um, and and in the process of um, doing dads, somebody said, what's your mission? And our mission was to give fathers hope by walking together in supportive community, helping navigate relational and legal barriers that separated fathers from their children and families. Now, that might seem like a mouthful, but stop and think about it. You know, at that time, they were calling fathers deadbeat dads. And dads weren't deadbeat, they were dead broke. But was nobody, they they weren't considering that aspect of it. Or most of the fathers didn't have directions, right? We, We knew how to get to the streets, and get directions out the street. That's what I came out of. I know how to do that stuff, but the other stuff, nobody had gave me any inkling of insight to it. And so I knew that these fathers were having the same problems I was having. So together, if we formed a community, we could learn some of this stuff on our own and work our way through that. And so that gave us the forefront of dads. And dads, um, we've seen pretty close to 5,000 fathers since 1998. To be exact, 4,728 fathers and parents. And then that's 
kind of equivalent to uh, 12,500 children that have been connected through our fathering program to their families. So we, we, we didn't start out knowing that we even had those capabilities. What we wanted to do is reconnect fathers and children and families, um, and particularly fathers who were separated from the kids, whether it was due to drug addiction, uh, incarceration, homelessness, a number of these things that are the plight of what's taking place in families today. It was the same thing 20 plus years ago. And so what we took the challenge of how can we help mediate that? How could we, how could we help build a community? How could we help put families or fathers back in families? And um, I knew that me working with my children, I have eight children, four boys and four girls from five different mothers. And we could have left it like that, but I found in my search a woman who was willing to accept me and mine's and vice versa. And so we just came together to figure out how could we make a difference in our children's lives. And when I look at families that are broken, that's what I look at. I look to see who's willing to make a difference in those children's lives. And and you'd, you'd really be surprised of how many people are, are willing to make sure that their children have it better than them, regardless of what the situ- situation looks like or the circumstances. You know, um, like Seattle's like most other cities in our country. There is a, a population who lives on the side of the freeway or live downtown in the squalors. And when I go through there, I like to ride through and pray for those families and those people. But I always look at them and say, how many kids are connected to these families that are not being accessed? And that's why I believe that something can be done. Something can be done that fathers can be encouraged Fathers coming out of the institution, fathers coming off of drugs and alcohol. They can be cared for and loved for and encouraged to pick up the mantle. Now, it's not going to happen like that overnight. And, and, and we've come very good at helping them understand that. It's not going to happen overnight. But if you're willing to put the work in, here's some steps that if you follow these, they might work for you, right? They might work for you. And so that's what we've been able to do with these just under 5,000 fathers that have walked through our doors. They've been willing to walk with us, hold our hand, hear our voices, become what we are now because we used to be what they are. And, and for, for that, uh, I'm internally grateful. I'm always grateful when a, a man who is deciding to not be kicked down anymore and is willing to listen I cherish that opportunity um, for a person to hear my voice, to walk in my footsteps, um, to hear my wife talk about her father and what he was willing to do and how there were times when she wasn't always willing to listen to him. And the funny thing about it is we now have children who were walking through the process and they're always not willing and ready to listen to us. But because of the experience, we know not to give up we know to keep on. And we feel that same way about the men coming through our doors. We don't want to give up on them. We want to help them understand that they just need to stay in the fight. So I guess um, a couple of questions that I'm sure the listeners have for me. And one of them is, why am I qualified to have these conversations? And the first was, First conversation out of my mouth is that I, I'm not qualified, but if there was a such thing as being qualified to do that, it would be because of my experience and what um, I've been able to do both my own circumstances and situation. Watching my children go through the foster care system, me being one that has went through the foster care system, having my children go through the same thing that I went through, knowing all the time that was not my intentions, that's not what I wanted to do, but they wound up there anyway. There was an opportunity for me to come back, pull them up out of it, 
by whatever means I needed to do that was righteous. And then making sure that uh, now that I've got I've got this pathway before me and this journey before me, being married, being a father, and and really being somewhat disconnected from my children in the very beginning stages of this journey, it was difficult. It was really difficult. Kids didn't want to believe anything I had to say. I was not really responsible in the first behalf of their life, first part of their life. And now I want to come in and be responsible. And guess what? It was chaotic, right? They remember when I was on drugs and used to leave them in situations that weren't the best for them. And now all of a sudden I want to turn around and do it right. And, but I had to just hang and I had to believe and I had to go through that. And I think that's what gives me, that's what qualifies me to be able to tell a father that he can do it because I've experienced I, I experienced what it was like to want to give up. I've experienced what it's like to say, man, I don't want to do this no more. It's easier just to go get high, knowing that that would have been all right for me, but it wouldn't have been all right for them. No, that would have been all right for me, but it wouldn't help my children at all. And clearly, clearly, I needed to help them. I was their father, and I know what it's like not to have one. So I believe that's what makes me qualified to speak. What was my journey like? The, these, uh, I have to say this in two parts. What was my journey like? The first journey was um, as a kid who grew up in the foster care system. Um, I lived in foster homes that weren't very pleasant. Um, I, I know it, it, at that time it was very difficult. It was very difficult. I tried to be the best that I could be. I didn't know anything about wrong or right. I just tried to be the best that I could. But even as I was or figured that I was wrong, I was. I remember making the decision that since you're going to accuse me of being wrong, I might as well be wrong. I remember making that conscious decision at 18. I might as well. I'm always wrong. I'm, I'm never right. There's nothing I can do to be right. And so I decided to just, okay, if I'm wrong, I might as well be wrong and live that way. The problem was, after almost 20 years of living that way, there was no fruit. There was no nothing. I had a five-year-old son who I was dragging from dope house to place, and he was, he, all he knew was he loved his dad. And I was trying to, I'm a father. What, how do I find my, how do I get out of this mess? What do I do? I didn't know where to turn. I didn't have, he didn't have grandparents to leave him with or none of that. And so I really just had to figure this thing out. And I wasn't doing a very good job. I didn't do a very good job at all. And then I started having more children. And that just added, it just added insult to injury, right? What was I going to do then? Well, at some point, I found myself in a treatment center getting treatment for drugs and alcohol. I think for the first time, particularly not being incarcerated, I had a chance, a moment of clarity is what they call it in AA or NA. I had a moment of clarity. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? You're 40 years old. And evidently what you've been doing doesn't work. So what are you going to do with your life? And I just, for some reason, had this yearning to give my life to Christ. And it didn't come easy, but I needed to do something. I needed something to change. Here, here, here was my, my mentality. My mentality was I spent all this time living for Satan, and that didn't take me anywhere. So I guess if I devote the same kind of time to this person called Jesus, maybe they'll different. Maybe I'll get a different outcome. And so I just made that decision to do that. Now, there was some process I had to go through. Um, I gave my life to the Lord. I, I, I met this pastor in the treatment center. I went through those motions. He baptized me. I went through those motions. And then I realized one thing. I spent a long time serving Satan. Well, let me just at least give 
this person called Jesus the same amount of time. And if nothing changes, what have I lost? And so that's what I started doing. Well, the first prayer was, Lord, help me put my family back together again. Now, I wasn't married. I had kids kids everywhere. But I figured if I just prayed the prayer and this person is who they say he is, he'll help me f- figure out the rest of it. And so I trusted him. I trusted him like I trusted Satan. And he started doing that. He started putting pieces together in my life. I, 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 I got out of treatment. I found a little place to lay my head. I found me a little job. I went to work for Goodwill. And I just started putting pieces together. My girlfriend, the mother of my two youngest kids, she was in treatment now. She was getting some some help. I started meeting with her. And I realized part of this change is I probably need to be married. So I talked to her about having a life together. I didn't have anything to offer her but me. But the funny thing about it, she didn't have anything to offer me but her. And we had these children. And we made a conscious decision to say, um, if we come together, can we create a home that we can bring these children home to? And so um, we were at the courthouse. And the courts were asking us to come to court so we could see how we could bring these children together. Now, they weren't really in favor of it because we had a long track record of using drugs, being misappropriated with using drugs around our kids and in our homes and the whole nine yards. You you know the story. The caseworker said, listen, um, she doesn't have any chance to get the kids. This is her fifth rodeo. And um, yours is slim to none just because you're a man. And then she said, if you guys were married, it'd be a different story. So I never forget, she walked out of the courthouse, the juvenile justice center. And I grabbed Jeanette by the hand and said, if you marry me, I will do everything in my power to make you the happiest woman in the world. That was my insight. I didn't know where I got that from, but I figured if I could make her happy, then we could make the kids happy. And that's that would be the first step. And so... I went to the pastor I had at that time and asked him what did he think. And it was critical that I had somebody that I could talk to. And that's that's even critical today when we work with fathers. You you want to put yourself in a position or we put ourselves in a position that they can talk to us, we can hear them, we can we could we could share in one another's thought process in life. And so he did. He let me talk to him. I asked him what did he think. He said uh, I think you guys have history, so that that probably will be the best idea. That's all I need to hear was that was good. And so he gave me the money. I went to the Justice of the Peace. I went and bought a marriage license. And mind you, Jeanette was still in treatment, but she got a pass out. And 30 days later, we got married. And then we went back to court. We went back to court, and Jeanette told our caseworker, Marvin and I are married. And the caseworker looked at me and said, what did you do that for? And I, I, I didn't know whether to be insulted. I didn't know whether to be. I didn't know what to be. But it, we've already done it now, so the plan was to do this so that we could bring our kids home. So that's what we did. Jeanette got out of treatment. Our first six months of marriage, she lived in one clean and sober house. I lived in another, and our curfew was 10 o'clock. But again, and I just want to repeat this, I had spent 20 years living wildly and crazy, and now I've given my life to this person called Jesus, and now uh, I have to give him the same opportunity that I gave this other person. So if it meant that I had to start underneath the bottom I was just prepared to do that. Why? Because it wasn't about me anymore. It's about these children. And I say that because that's the narrative that I try 
that we as dads try to give fathers to understand. You know, you 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 know how much, how far you were willing to go before your children. Why not make your children the reason that you go even farther now? So that's that's uh that's kind of where where I started at, where we started at. So I'll give you an example of what I've been trying to talk about. Um, so I'll tell you a story of a father, one of the fathers that have come through our doors. Um, he came out of prison owing $133,000 in child support arrearage. And um, he was trying to meet the needs of his obligations and um, it went to prison for selling drugs and got out and, and made it, promised himself that he wasn't going to do that anymore. He was just going to try to be the father. He had two children. He was just going to try to hang. But the job wasn't paying enough money. He had child support payments he was trying to take care of. And like most of us in the urban core, we're frustrated. We want to do right. We want to do what what is good and polish and be about our kids, but it wasn't working out. And again, like I said, he owed $133,000 in child support. Um, he wasn't a deadbeat dad. He was dead broke. And he tried to do it that way and then got caught up again in the system. And they sent him back to prison. So when he got out this time, he said, I know what I did wrong. I didn't surrender at all. So he did. So he, he wound up at our door, at dad's door, and began to really look seriously and deeply at what his situation and circumstances were. And he had a job, and he was just trying to figure out, how do I meet these obligations? And so um, Jeanette, my wife, um, did an intake on him, looked at his circumstances, looked at his situation, and then began to really um, go to bat for him. Uh, and what I mean go to bat, what she did was look deeply at his child support situation and found out that most of his child support arrearage was based on some inadequacies. And so she was able to get his child support modified down to its original order, which was like $11,000. I remember he used to say that $133,000 was like buying a, a house that he would never live in. And in actuality, that's exactly what it was. But when Jeanette got it modified down to its original orders, um, he felt very confident that number one, he could stay on his job. Number two, he didn't have to go and do something underhanded to pay this debt off. And number three is that he was part of a community of fathers that would support one another, which allowed him to stay. Even when he started feeling crazy about stuff. I remember he used to drive from Seattle to Olympia where his children lived. He worked all week, and on the weekend, he was on the highway to go pick his kids up to bring them for a day and a half, and then he would turn around and drive them back. Well, it was funny. One day, he got on the highway to go pick his kids up, and when he got there to pick his kids up, the kids got in the car, and so did their mother. And she was leaving the situation she was in. She wasn't going to stay at his house, but she wanted a ride back to Seattle because the situation she was in was ending. Well, think about that. His life is changing. He's being more adequate for his children. And then the mother of his children is watching what he's doing. And not try he's married. He's not, he's, she's not trying to be with him or get in it. But she's watching what he's been able to do with his life and the children, his children, their children. And, and I, I tell you that one of the things I understood about doing this work is it has its long-range impact on families. 
not just your children, but whoever your children are connected to, it can have an impact on them. I'm only speaking about what I've experienced. If it wasn't personally, I've experienced it through um, through some of the men coming through our doors. And I, I tell you, when you see stuff like that starting to change the circumstances and the situations of your children, of their families, you're having what's called impact. And that's what we see at dads, that you're having impact. Well, that father that I'm talking about, children went on to college. One went on to the, the, the military. One went on to college, graduated from college, got a degree. Uh, that was the young daughter and then the son um, went on into the military and came out of the military. Okay, all right. And the father is still in community working and preparing their homeowners now. There, there's things that that someone would think that those things are not even possible. And I'm here to tell you that. Uh, that's my friend Billy, who went on to do some fatherhood work himself um, in a city in the city of Tacoma, so it's those kind of situations that we are trying to champion the cause of. I have a, a whole lot more stories like that that I'll share with you as our, our podcast opportunity grows. Uh, I have to tell you, this is my first podcast, and. I'm trying to get the feel of how to do this by sharing stories, sharing our life, sharing what we do. And hopefully, hopefully um, someone will be encouraged by hearing these stories, hearing this uh, podcast about what an individual can do when it comes to changing their life around, making a difference in the life of community. So I, I my prayer is that you... Um, you turn somebody on to hearing this story, hearing this 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 message about dads and fathers and how that we can change the community. So if you have uh, any desire to go any farther than this, go to uh, www.aboutdads.org. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, go to info at aboutdads.org. And drop us an email. I have two sites. We have one in Seattle, 411 12 Avenue, Suite 300, Seattle, Washington, 98122. Uh, and then we have another site in Tacoma, 10402 Klein Street, Southwest, Suite 111, Lakewood, Washington, 98499. We have support groups Wednesday morning in Seattle from 9.30 to 11.30 and on Thursday nights, 6.30 to 8 p.m. And then on Monday nights in Tacoma from 6 to 8. These are just places where men gather and men um, from all walks of life, every nationality, um, sit in a room and talk about their fathering issue. And we don't, try to guide them. What we do is give them free space. I have a table in the classroom. I call it the strongest table in Washington because it holds all those men's tears, fears, and circumstances. And it's, it's, it's awesome to watch these men navigate those waters. It's awesome to be able to see a community of men that help them to be the men they're called to be. Hey, we're going to take a break right now and we'll be back to share more of dad's stories with you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Color Him Dads, a new show on the Voice America Network will address barriers facing fathers who are struggling to enter or re-enter the lives of their children and families. It will speak to the epidemic of fatherlessness with real conversation and with real fathers. Color Him Dads, hosted by Marvin and Jeanette Charles. Podcast episodes are available weekly on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Color Him Dads with Marvin and Jeanette. If you are enjoying today's episode, be sure to check back every week where they will tackle a new topic. Now, back to the show. Hey, we're back. Um... I really appreciate the opportunity to um, speak to you. So let me let me just jump in. Um, one of, one of the things that um, you might be asking is why why is it called color him dads? As a, as a kid growing up, there was a song that uh, came out in in the sixties, um, the late sixties. I'm predating myself, but the song was called Color Him Father. And the song told the story of a man who stepped in as a father and um, uh, participated in a household of a woman who lost her husband um, due to the war. And he really liked it, the woman. I assumed from the song and so he came in and so the, the the story told of the man and how he fathered the children um and it story i remember back in the day it was a story that touched me and i felt like this is the kind of work that we've been doing is trying to touch fathers in a way that they, they touch not only their children but children in their community and so uh, again the song was called Color Him Father. And so it, it was dear to me. And I thought after talking with our team and our staff that Color Him Dads uh, fit. It really did fit. And so that's where the name came from, Color Him Dads. And um, hopefully we can get our get an opportunity to play the song. It won't cost us an arm and a leg um, to, so that you can hear it, most folks. Um let me um, kind of talk about um, some other things. And, I, and I'll say this. Um, my wife is going to join me in this podcast uh, later on down the line, and, and you'll get a chance to hear some exciting things from her. Um, again, I, I may mention that my wife was raised by a single father, and she will tell you specifically what he poured into her. Um and I, I think that's very rare, and I'm excited for her to share that story with you, that a father raised his daughter in a time when it was unheard of and what she, she, she experienced from her father. Her mother wasn't in her life. It was just strictly her father. And as I said before, I get the benefits out of that. Um, I never had a chance to meet her father, and but... Because I met her, I can just about figure out what he was like, and I've taken that and poured that into my children, particularly my daughters. I have four daughters, and uh, they're like their mother. They're pretty strong. I have four sons, and they're pretty strong. Um, However, uh, my two oldest boys didn't get a chance to be raised with me in their life on a daily like my other children have. Um, but we have a great relationship. I, I think it could, if you ask me, I think it could have been better 
based on me and what I did and didn't do. Well, let me um, tell you a little bit about what I was able to do in starting dads. Um, the first opportunity I had to do this work, I was hired by a, um, a faith-based Head Start program. My first job as a fatherhood coordinator. And so I worked there for six months. I got the job. I was... Um, in the midst of getting trained as a fatherhood coordinator. And and so they hired me while I was in it. So I had the privilege of building their program. And and so we started pulling. I'll tell you, this is really unique. They had a Head Start program. They had parents dropping kids off. And most of those parents were mothers. And they had a one or two fathers dropping their kids off. And what I would do was meet and greet the fathers that they came to drop the kids off, children off. And I, I really tried to reach out to them. Some of it worked. And I had to feel, I had to feel, how do you connect with men? Now, the rumor mill is if you invite them to have a meal, then you can usually get them to come, Right. But this was early in the morning, and these guys were either headed to work or headed somewhere else, and so it was a little difficult. Well, what I did was I just I just went to the playground one day. This is really um, unique, and I just found this out by sheer accident. I, I'd go to the playground, and um, the kids would run. They would bombard me. They would they would. Hey, hey, Mr. Charles, would you push me in the swing? And I'd push one kid, and then all the kids would line up for me to push them. Well, it, it wasn't hard to figure out that they were used to seeing women on the playground, but they weren't used to seeing a man on the playground. And so because I was a man on the playground, they just bombarded me. And so I thought, wow. So when I spend time with these kids on the playground, they're going to go home and tell their dads, Mr. Charles did this, Mr. Charles helped me, Mr. Charles helped me. And I don't know no man who wants their child coming home telling them about some other man, right? And so I, I felt like that was a good in route. It was a good way to be able to get these guys to come up to find out who I was. And then I would extend an opportunity for us to meet, for us to uh, pick a night of the week that we could just sit down and talk about anything that was going on in there and there. Um, in their realm as far as fatherhood. And that worked. It gave us a lot of opportunity to sit up for a couple hours and talk about their fathers, talk about what they didn't have from their fathers or what they didn't have and how they wanted to create a different atmosphere for their child. And it, it just really snowballed into a great opportunity for men to start having dialogue, for men to ask questions. There's not too many places for men to kind of fall into a situation where they can just ask questions, just out of, how does this work? What did you do? What do I do when my child comes and asks me about this or asks me about I'm, how come I'm not with his mom? We got a chance to have dialogue around all of this kind of stuff. And we found, I found, that it was worthy conversation. It, it was able to remove the void that sometimes as fathers we have when it comes to connecting with our children. I, see, I believe this. I believe that a father's job is to prepare his children for a future that he will never see. I, I also believe this. The biggest problem in this country is fatherlessness. It's not crime, it's not drugs and alcohol, it's not, it's, it's not gang violence, it's fatherlessness. Those are the, that's the precursor to all the other problems that we have. So if you know anything about the HIV virus, you know that HIV doesn't kill you, but what it does is it opens you up 
for infection and the infection is what kills you. Well, fatherlessness is the same way. You take a father from the home, the family doesn't die, but it opens a family up for infection, meaning gang violence, crime, all of those things, they impact the family. And so I just believe, from my own personal belief, is that if we can restore the father back to the family, then the family has a better chance. I know some people might not agree with me. It will. It'll help. I try to encourage fathers that that daughter that you have is going to be looking for a man one day. Do you want that man to be you or you want it to be someone else? That son that you have is going to be looking for a mate one day. Do you want it to be like the mate you have or do you want it to be something different? I mean, we have the, the, the power to be able to set our children on a course that is successful. But it means that we're going to have to put some work in as a father. We're going to have to put the work in. Now, I know some, some fathers feel that, well, I don't ever get the chance. Well, here's what I found. I think uh, my story speaks to that same dynamic. You know, if a child is not raised with his biological father, one day he's going to look for that biological father. And he's going to go he's going to go through that opportunity to find out because curiosity is going to say, I need to know what he looks like. I need to know what he sounds like. I need to know where he's at. I need to see him. I need to be around him. And what I always tell the men that's come through our doors is that you need to be ready when that happens. When you get that knock on the door and you open it and it's that mini me of you standing there looking at you, are you going to be drunk and high and loaded? Are you going to be a man with a responsible future, even though your past wasn't? Or are you going to be somebody still stuck in that time and mind frame that you were when your child came into this world? And here's what I say. If that is the case, your child's going to throw his hands up and say, uh, well, mom said you was like that. And guess what? That's just what it is. I need you to know that you have the ability to change that. You have the ability to change that. And that's what I tell I, I had to, my son was gone for years. And then when he came home, I had to receive him and welcome him, but I wasn't the same person that he was when he left. And all I could do is show that. I'll get prepared to show him that, right? So that's what I mean. I mean that you can sit down and and most men want to blame their former mate for why they couldn't connect with their child or their children. And I that that might be the case once upon a time, but Listen, if you've done everything you needed to do to make sure that everything for them one day is going to be right. I, I tell you, my son came into my house and he looked on the wall and seen the pictures that I had when he was a young person. And then when he became a, a young adult, he and, and it was right alongside the pictures of the other children. He was flabbergasted. He was like, man, dad, you, you did this. It's because... <laughs> They had no idea, no concept that I cared for him because that's what that wasn't what he was led to believe. And and that's okay because when the opportunity comes and you get to show him, that's what you want to do. You want to show him now that you made a difference. It mattered. You mattered. And so that's we just have to figure out a way to fight through that as fathers. Um, I'm telling you, it, it works. I, I can't begin to tell you. So what I've shared with you thus far uh, is why I am as passionate about the work of dads that we've done. Um, Kind of motto is stronger fathers, healthier communities. And again, our mission is to give fathers hope by walking together in supportive community, helping them navigate relational and legal barriers that separate them from their children. It's a passion we have here at Dads. How do we make sure that every child has a father in his life or have access to his father? 
And we just believe that this is how it works. Here at Dads, we have a curriculum called Becoming Dads. We also have um, a book that I wrote called um, Becoming Dads. Um, it's, it's just a way to cut into that. Um, I heard an expression one time reading a newspaper that came from the United Kingdom, and it said that man deserts were popping up all over the country. Well, I believe that's the same thing that's taking place in America. There are man deserts popping up everywhere. I hope that this platform that Dads has created help to help make some of those deserts go away that help give fathers an opportunity to make sure that their household doesn't become a desert. Now, I don't know, but I feel like that's my God-given called mission uh, alongside of my wife is that's what we do. And we see it having an impact, and that's all. Uh, I'm not looking for any fanfare or anything. I just want to do... I have grandchildren growing up in this community now, and I want to make sure that they're not without, that they don't have anything, um, that they're lacking, unlike how I grew up. So that's that's dads. That's what we do here at Dads. Now, um, my, my role or my life's work is that we would come back to, to this podcast every two weeks and share the work that we do the lives that we're impacting, and hopefully that some of you out there will care. It will make a difference to even you. Um, That would be my prayer. That would be my hope. That would be the idea that um, I pray that impacts the podcast community. So with that, I want to say thank you for giving us the opportunity to spend this time with you. Uh, I look forward to speaking to you again. Coming from Seattle, Washington, our address is Dad's 411 12th Avenue, Suite 300, Seattle, Washington, 98122, Tacoma, Washington, 10402 Klein Street, Southwest, Suite 111, Lakewood, Washington, 98499. We look forward to being with you and spending time with you. Thank you again. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Color Him Dads. We hope today's episode has helped with your own struggles. Be sure to check back next week for another new episode with Marvin and Jeanette. Until then, have a blessed week.